0: Good morning, everyone. We've got two readings this morning. The first is from Micah, chapter 4, 1 to 2, and then we're going to move on to Luke. So starting in Micah, chapter 4, verse 1. In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as the highest of the mountains. It will be exalted above the hills, and peoples will stream to it. Many nations will come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the temple of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways so that we may walk in his paths. The law will go out from Zion, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. And then moving to Luke chapter 24, we're reading from verse 36 to 53. While they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. They were startled and frightened. "'Thinking they saw a ghost. "'He said to them, "'Why are you troubled? "'And why do doubts rise in your minds? "'Look at my hands and my feet. "'It is I myself. "'Touch me and see. "'A ghost does not have flesh and bones, "'as you see I have.' "'When he had said this, "'he showed them his hands and feet. "'And while they they still did not believe it "'because of joy and amazement, "'he asked them, "'Do you have anything here to eat?' "'They gave him a piece of broiled fish.' And he took it and ate it in their presence. He said to them, This is why I told you, while I was still with you, everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. He told them, This is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I am going to send you what my Father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. When he had led them out to the vicinity of Bethany, he lifted up his hands and blessed them. While he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up into heaven. Then they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy, and they stayed continually at the temple praising God.
1: Do you reckon Christianity is growing or declining? You know, if we went back a hundred years ago and sort of looked at the the state of Christianity, would we find it in a much better place than it is right now? 100 years ago there were about 600 million Christians in the world and almost all of them, about 95% of them, lived in majority Christian kind of countries. But what about now? If you just looked at the Australian census and if you just listened to the the media in Australia, you'd get the feeling from that that Christianity is on its way out, wouldn't you? Our media at times can almost sound desperate to portray Christianity as declining. And it's kind of strange because a lot of our media criticises our world for having a kind of Western-centric mentality and yet they themselves seem, seem almost incapable of seeing Christianity any other way they seem at times incapable of seeing that Christianity was never Western in the beginning. And it's not Western now. God's vision has always been bigger than claiming the West with a kind of nominal Christianity. But our media, it's almost like it's a bit blinded by its own narrative of Christianity declining. Because, did you know, Christian faith is not declining in our world at all. There are now four times as many Christians as there were about a 100 years ago. There are now about 2.4 billion Christians in the world. About a third of the world is Christian. And now almost 50% of Christians don't live in majority Christian countries at all. So about a 100 years ago... More than 50% of the world's population had never been reached with the message of Jesus. More than 50%. Now that's fallen to just 28% of the world. And 100 years ago, only about 5% of non-Christians could even identify a a, a Christian. Only about 5% of the world of non-Christians could identify a Christian. Now that's getting close. To twenty percent of non Christians being able to identify a Christian in their life. In Africa, in South America, even in China, even in Iran, Christianity is not declining at all. It is growing. Now, most of us here we we realise that percentages and census figures, they, they don't really give you the true basis of the state of Christianity, do they? You know, ticking a box tells you very little really about what people believe. And what they actually live. Jesus, he never said, you know, if anyone would come after me, he must take up his pen five yearly and tick the Christianity box on the census. Jesus' goal for the world, it's always, always been much bigger than that. It's never, never to see, it's never been to see a cultural, superficial kind of Christianity colonize the world. Jesus' goal has always been to gather a family of people who will follow him wholeheartedly and and whose lives will be changed by their belief in him and that kind of Christianity is growing and today in in Luke's gospel Luke takes us back to where it all began we're we're going to go back with him to see the very start we're going to see that Christianity began with a, a, a tiny band of devastated disciples with a crushed leader and we're going to see there's something huge happened that led them to start what we still see growing in our world today and what we see first of all at that right at that beginning is that jesus gives his followers every reason to believe in him now it's still easter sunday we're a week on from easter but what we're reading about there in luke it's still on easter sunday And remember from last week, Cleopas and his friend, they've just seen Jesus alive. They've just run the 10 kilometers back to Jerusalem from Emmaus as it's getting dark. And they find the 11 apostles and the others who are with them and they they find where they're hiding and they burst in ready to share their big news. But before they get to share what they've got to say, they're told it's true. The Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Now it must have been a crazy day for them all, a kind of roller coaster of emotions. More and, and, and more things are pointing to the fact that that something really strange has happened. The women claim to have seen angels who claim that Jesus is alive. Simon Peter says he's seen Jesus. Now Cleopas and his, his friend are claiming to have seen him. They're claiming not just to have seen him for a a moment or minutes but that they walked with him and ate with him for hours more and more things are pointing to the unbelievable and at some point while they're still talking about this jesus doesn't leave them guessing about what's going on he gives his followers every reason to believe in him he stands among them very much alive and he says peace be with you now like Mark said last week, we're often condescending about past generations, sometimes we're condescending about present generations, but especially about people who lived in the past, we tend to think that they're kind of ignorant, and naive, and ready to believe anything, and it's ironic really when you think about it, we live in a world where we barely ever see death around us, do we? You know, compared to them, we're the ignorant ones. They saw death far more often. They didn't hide death away like we do. The experience of death for them was far more real and powerful and final than ours. They knew from from lived experience that the dead don't rise. These people are not gullible simpletons. If anything... What we're seeing is they're hardcore skeptics. Look at verse 37. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. He said to them, why are you troubled and why do doubts rise in your minds?" I mean, already they've, they've kind of heard enough to believe, really. Why would the women lie to them? Why would Peter lie to them? Why would Cleopas and his friend lie to them? and yet despite that they still can't quite believe it and even seeing him they still can't quite believe it and so jesus gives them every reason to believe he shows them his hands and his feet he tells them to touch him it's it's his body he still bears the marks of of what he's been through it really is him but even with this evidence, they, they still can't believe it because it, it's just so unbelievable. It's reaching here the, the point of embarrassment. You know, Luke's putting together the, the eyewitness accounts, and these eyewitness accounts, they're not very flattering, but it's quite a realistic reaction. Now, humans are like this. You know, We go into shock. I don't know if you've ever seen this or experienced it yourself, but sometimes we just can't process things in the moment. And... Most of the time in our kind of lives or experience, it's it's with bad news. I heard on the radio this week um, a lady describing this kind of reaction. When she was about 35, uh, she was pregnant and she'd gone in for a checkup for her first uh, with her first baby, and somehow when she was there, that they discovered that she had breast cancer. And she said her husband was in tears, but she just couldn't take it in, and she just spent the whole time thinking what is wrong with him why is he crying now often shock for us is is around negative things but here in verse 41 we read they still did not believe it because of joy and amazement and patiently jesus gives them every reason to believe he asked them do you have anything to eat they gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and ate it in their presence he does what, what he must have done a thousand times with them before. He eats with them. He takes a, a very ordinary piece of food, a piece of roasted fish, and he eats it in a very ordinary way there in front of him. I mean, it must have been a kind of surreal experience. So shocking on the one hand, and yet so ordinary on the other. You know, sitting there, watching someone eat food is kind of one of the most ordinary and boring things you can do in life it's almost comical but at the end of that piece of fish the reality that jesus was there really there physically with the same body in the same way that he'd been with them eating before at the end of that bit of the fish what could they possibly do But believe it. And then just as they're starting to dare to believe it, Jesus reminds them, he's already told them that this was going to happen. Look at verse 44. He said to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. And this brings us down to the the second thing that, that happens there at the very beginning, Jesus opens up Scripture to give his followers every reason to believe in him. Look at verse 45. Look at at how he opens up Scripture to his followers. We read, Then he opened their minds so they could understand the Scriptures. Now, these are people who've always known the Scriptures since they were practically babies. But until that moment, they didn't understand them fully scripture is like that someone can read it and yet miss completely what's become so obvious to those who've come to see it Uh, look at what jesus opens their minds to understand in verse 46 he told them this is what is written the messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at jerusalem Jesus is not saying, you know, here and and there you'll find some moments in the Old Testament that point to him. He's saying that in every storyline, every twist in their history, every character, every page in scripture was always heading towards him. But until Jesus opens your mind, you'll never see it. But once he opens your mind be completely shocked that you couldn't see it before. It makes me um, think of a, of a river system. It's always amazed me um, that I could stand on the banks of the Boorolong Creek near Armidale, where I used to live in New South Wales. You can kind of see it in the background there. Have you have you heard of that creek, the, the Boorolong Creek? I wouldn't think you would have. It's kind of insignificant. It's tiny. But it's an amazing thought to me that as I, I stood on its banks and watched that water pass me by. That water would flow into the Guaida River and then the Guaida River would flow. That same water would flow into the Barwon and then from there it would flow into the Darling and then from the Darling into the Murray and then from the Murray? You know, it kind of blows my mind that that same water that I watched go by in Armadale, 1,600 kilometers away, That same water, you know, assuming Victoria didn't steal it for irrigation. (laughs) That same water would empty out not that far from here at the Murray Mouth. All those countless little creeks, you know, you can't even see them all up on there. But all those creeks and streams from Queensland, New South Wales, Victoria, they all combine and lead to that one point. It's all about South Australia. It's mind-blowing. And Jesus he opens their minds to see for themselves that that scripture is like that all scripture is like that all the little and the big stories and moments of scripture were always flowing towards this moment sometimes we come across a passage and we think oh yeah that's definitely talking about jesus but jesus is saying it's all talking about him and do you see the essence of what he says it's all saying Jesus says it all points to the fact that the Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to the nations beginning at Jerusalem. Wouldn't you love to have been there in that room listening to Jesus as he explained and opened their minds to Scripture? I mean, did he take them right back to the Garden of Eden? And show them that the one hinted at who would crush the serpent. Even as the serpent bruised his heel. Did he take them back and show them that was him that he's talking about? Or did he take them to Abraham and, and God promising that a king would come from him? That all the nations would be blessed through him. Did he show them that that king, that that blessing was He? Or maybe did he take them to Abraham with his son Isaac when he climbed Mount Moriah with the wood strapped to his back, his own back, ready to offer a sacrifice? Because God had commanded Abraham Abraham to sacrifice his own son at the very location where the temple would one day be built. Did Jesus take them there and show them that it was as if Abraham was receiving Isaac back from the dead, because God would provide a different sacrifice for him at the last minute. Did he take them there? Show them how that pointed to an even greater plan that God had in mind for the forgiveness of his sins through his own son offered? Or did Jesus take them to Israel, painting the blood on the, the doorway at the Exodus with the lamb dying in their place? Or did he take them to the Red Sea where Israel passed through the waters, passed through the valley of the shadow of death and came through into new life on the other side with their enemies washed away, defeated? Or maybe he did something a bit different. Maybe he he took them to Psalm 22. A psalm David had written a thousand years earlier, which Jesus had taken up on his lips at the cross when he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Did Jesus show them that the Messiah must suffer from verse 7? All those, all who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. He trusts in the Lord, they say. Let the Lord rescue him. Or did he take them to verse 16? They pierce my hands and my feet. Or verse 18? They divide my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment. Or from the same psalm, did he show them that he must rise? Did he take them to... Verse 19, where David wrote, But you, Lord, do not be far from me. You are my strength. Come quickly to help me. Deliver me from the sword, my precious life, from the power of the dogs. Or in that same psalm, which tells the whole story. Did he show them that his message has to go to the nations? Did he take them to verse 30, where David says, Posterity will serve him. Future generations will be told about the Lord. They will proclaim his righteousness, declaring to a people yet unborn, he has done it. Now, I could go on for hours and hours. We could go on for days and days, and we still would have only scratched the surface of the way the Old Testament points completely and powerfully and amazingly to Jesus. Because once Jesus has opened up your mind, you really do see that every page of the Old Testament, every storyline, every character every success every failure even points to the coming of a messiah who would suffer rise and be proclaimed across the face of the world every page of scripture gives us every reason to believe in jesus now some people think this is unimpressive kind of unconvincing but god has always been the speaking god right from the beginning and the reality is when it comes to god people are not convinced by what they see in the end. They're only ever convinced as the living speaking God opens their minds to his voice in scripture. And that will always be baffling for those who can't hear. But the truth is we shouldn't expect people who can't hear to hear. You know, you don't expect someone who's deaf to hear what you're saying to them. We shouldn't expect those who are deaf to God to be able to hear what he says in Scripture. Jesus always said, let those who have ears to hear, hear. So we've seen Jesus gives his followers every reason to believe in him. We've seen Jesus opens up Scripture to give them every reason to believe in him. And finally, we see Jesus gives his followers the task of giving the world every reason to believe in him. Look at verse 48. Jesus says to them, he had to suffer, he had to die, the world needs to be told. And then he says to them, you are witnesses of these things. There was no doubting that for them. They were, they they knew that. But what they must have doubted, as they themselves were only just starting to believe, hiding there with the doors locked, afraid of the authorities, jumping at shadows and coasts, what they must have doubted was themselves. They must have been thinking, why doesn't Jesus just walk up to Pilate and say, hey, I'm back, I'd like to talk to your boss, please, is Caesar around? Why doesn't he just walk straight up to Caesar and say, i'm going to take it from here thanks you know what must have seemed unbelievable to them was that jesus was saying they're going to be the ones taking the message of what they've seen with their own eyes to the world have you heard that saying it always seems impossible until it's done you know from our perspective it's it's it might look more possible because it's more done than than from their perspective by the time constantine converted to Christianity in about 312 AD they say about 10% of the Roman Empire was was Christian about 6 million people at that point point. 100 years ago as, as I said before 600 million people claimed to be Christians today 2.4 billion people but right back then at the beginning in that room behind locked doors it must have felt unbelievable that they could take Jesus to the world like that. But Jesus tells them it, it's possible because they're not going to be alone in this. Look at verse 49. He says, I'm going to send you what my father has promised, the Holy Spirit, but stay into the, in the city until you've been clothed with power on high. Now Luke tells the rest of this story in his second book, acts and I'm thinking maybe we should do acts next year it might be a good thing to carry on with but here in his first book he, he skips over the details of the next 40 days and, and he brings his gospel to an end and we saw it just before Jesus leads them out to Bethany the Mount of Olives this isn't the same night if it was it would have been very late that night uh, this is 40 days later Luke, Luke tells us that in his second book and what we see here at this point as the gospel is that, is that Jesus wants to show his followers that he's leaving them bodily now. He won't be back. And so he's, he's taken up from them into the sky, which we find a bit, bit weird because we kind of think, where's he going exactly in doing that? But this is for them. This was a picture for them to communicate exactly what they needed to hear. Jesus doesn't leave his body behind and, and kind of enter another realm as a spirit notice that he doesn't kind of say all right i'm I'm out of here and his body stays jesus has taken on humanity for all eternity and the physical body of jesus is is right now at at the right hand of god the father it's a a human being who forever stands in god's presence for us humans god the son takes on our humanity for good that's what Jesus is communicating to his disciples in the way that he leaves but it also says to them they won't see him again physically like that not until he returns and he won't return like that until the job they've been given is done they are witnesses and Jesus has given them the task of, of giving the world every reason to believe Even today, actually, we depend on them. Even today, it's through their witness that that we believe. You know, the the Gospels and and the letters in the Bible, in the New Testament, they are only considered scripture if they can be traced to their witness, to what they saw. That's always been the case right from the very beginning. What we have today is is the witness of, of people who staked their lives on what they saw what they heard and touched we have the witness of people who go from being defeated and cowering to being fearless and speaking people who were convinced and whose conviction has transformed the world And it's, it's no small thing that the world has changed and, and goes on changing because of what they believed about jesus And we don't have their witness as a kind of distant, far off, barely remembered voice. Do you realize this? We have it as loudly and clearly as if they were standing here today speaking to us. That's what scripture is. It's very early. It's verified. It's only ever been valued as it could be directly pinned to the apostles. Scripture is their witness to the world. You know, even the the biggest skeptic, if they're willing to look at the evidence and and weigh it up, if they're fair and honest, they'll be forced to see that not only was Jesus a real person, that's obvious to anybody who looks, not only did Jesus die on the cross, but also these 11 and, and those with them really came to believe that Jesus was alive again after death. They really believed he rose. You might conclude they were mistaken or you might conclude that they were tricked or deluded themselves somehow. None of those arguments are particularly convincing because the truth is they really believed they'd seen Jesus and they believed it so strongly it changed them and pretty much every single one of them died for that belief. And you don't die for a lie. People die for, for causes all the time. But what they don't die for is a cause that they know is a lie. These witnesses, they really believed Jesus rose from the dead. They believed it. And so they took what they saw to the world. And they stood by it even to their deaths. And maybe you've never looked into the evidence for why the Bible's worth listening to. That's something we we actually do in one of the weeks in our Life Series. Um, There's a whole week where we look at why the Bible is actually worth listening to, why the evidence is actually there. Um, Come along to that if you've never looked into it, or or bring someone along to it if you know someone who's never looked into the evidence, because there's far more evidence than you might realize. But here's, here's the thing I want to finish with today we absolutely depend on them on those 11 and and those with them for what they saw and heard and for the message come to us but in a sense they depend on us too they depend on us to complete the task their witness stands in scripture today just as clear as it did on that first day that they started speaking but the task isn't yet done more people than ever have heard of jesus More people than ever are hearing of him. Nearly one in five people now know a Christian. That's great. But it's also not great, isn't it? Still, four in five people in our world can't personally identify a Christian. Four in five people can't personally identify a Christian. The task that Jesus gave the 11 apostles, it's just as important today as it was back at the beginning. It's just as exciting as it was in the beginning. And we are just as needed. As Luke finishes his gospel, I reckon that what that small bunch in Jerusalem still doubted was, I reckon they would have still been doubting that they were going to be able to make a difference. But we look back today and... and We see the world has really been changed completely by what God did through them. Most of us here have been changed completely by what God did through them. We don't doubt they've made a difference. I mean, it'd be stupid to doubt that. We see it everywhere. But what we often doubt is that we'll be able to make a difference ourselves. I reckon we lack confidence that God is going to keep growing his kingdom if we're honest i think we lack that confidence but let me tell you he will he is don't believe our media that just because nominal christianity is declining in the west therefore god is losing ground in the world that's ridiculous you know people might have ticked they were christians in the census more in the past But that never really mattered that much to God in the first place. And the West is not the world. Christianity isn't declining. Cultural religiosity is declining. But what's growing is broken adults and young people turning and finding Jesus in our country, in our church even. What's growing is young people in Asia... Coming to Jesus and holding to Jesus, not loosely but wholeheartedly, the way he wants. What's growing is that the global south is exploding with Christianity in Africa, in South America, and it will go on exploding in the decades to come. Jesus is still growing his kingdom. Do you believe that? If you do, then let's give ourselves to the task that he's given us. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you that being on the side of Jesus means that we are on the side of what you are doing in this world. That person by person, humbly, simply, the message of love, of reconciliation with you, of kindness, of joy, of eternal life, of forgiveness of sins, is ours and is ours to share and we just pray lord that you would help us to see that you are growing your kingdom in your way in your time it's not a kingdom of earthly power but a kingdom of real power that we will be part of your family for all eternity because of the love that took jesus to a humiliating death in our place Father, help us to get on with growing your kingdom in the footsteps of Jesus, with the same character and love and kindness with which he has sought us. We pray that you would enable us to be involved in this and to have the confidence to see that you are at work, even in the lives of each one of us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.